You're listening to the USCA official podcast, which takes you behind the scenes of eventing, covering all the big events, professional tips and tricks, interviews, special guests, and the latest USCA eventing news. Welcome to the USCA official podcast and listeners, we have got an episode that is a little bit different for you today because you guys are calling the shots. We have pulled in a very special guest and we are going to be putting your questions to her. I am delighted to welcome back to the show none other than the absolute legend, the very lovely Tammy Smith. Tammy, good to have you with us. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, Now, first of all, I would say we have had tons of different questions coming in from all over the world. Um, We're going to pick through as many of them as we can, listeners. We won't get to them all, but we will do our best. Now, the first question, Tammy, is actually one that has been asked multiple times. Um, So it is coming from the likes of Gemma Doherty, Jenny Martin, um, Juliet has sent it in as well. And they basically are all variations of are you coming back to Britain this year in 2023 to compete? Are you coming back to badminton? What are your plans? Will we see you on European soil? Well, I'm definitely planning on coming to European soil, but unfortunately, probably not badminton in the spring. It Burley is a little bit in the horizon um, and on my vision chart, if you could, if you could say that, but um my my plans are to stay home through Kentucky and then head over to Germany uh, to potentially do a few events over in the German region. Oh, do they? do they? <laughs> do they begin with L? Yes, Lemuel. Exciting. Um, yeah, potentially Aachen, maybe an event before Lemuel. So. Um, I, I think that's an important um, an important piece. I haven't competed at Lemulin yet, um, but I have a couple horses that I think would suit that venue. And I think it's important to get back over to Aachen. Obviously, the selectors have uh, a lot to say about who gets to go to um, you know these these events with with grants and such. But uh, that's kind of in my thought process. So. Yeah, not not Britain in the spring, though. Unfortunately, um, I I really like to to go back to Kentucky and and run there. I um, I I had my bomb at badminton last year, and as much as I'd love to go give it a whirl again, um, my other horses aren't quite ready for that for that big ask. So that's the that's the plan. But there is potentially a burley on the horizon. It would be your first yes, burley, wouldn't it? Yes, I. Well, I kind of nobody really knows this horse because it's a bit of a behind-the-scenes um, guy, and but he's a cross-country machine and a big, big, strong galloping. I'm planning on taking him to uh, to Kentucky this year. His name is Elliot, and Elliot B is his name. And um, my plan is to take him to Kentucky, and should that go well, I think I will. I will look at maybe taking him to Burley in the fall. Oh, exciting. Have you ever visited Burley even as a spectator or is it your first yes, time? Yeah, I've been, I've been to Burley a few times. Actually, I've, I've had students compete there. Um, and it, I think it'll be really interesting seeing the changes that Derek's made. So um, I'm excited to, 
excited to be able to compete there. It is really cool. I have to admit, Burley is one of my favorites, listeners. It is just one of yeah. those events. Where yep. it falls in the calendar, tell me, it doesn't feel quite as intense as badminton. Badminton is very pressure cooker. Burley's a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, for up. sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, that is exciting. Can I ask my bomb, his plan would be, is he Kentucky bound? or? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, I think... Um, I think that there's a lot of Americans that are, um, I think an American needs to win Kentucky. Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> we Absolutely. need to do that. And um, I think that there's a handful that really could. So I think that Kentucky this year will be um, something that, I mean, that that would be my plan is, and goal. And it. I don't think it's, it's far-fetched. I, the horse is looking really well and um, back into work and feeling feeling ready and um I'm I'm kind of that's that's my plan I'd I'd love to go there and really be competitive and try to try to win I mean that's we we got to get we got to get somebody to win Kentucky I mean I think Will Coleman has a good shot at it Liz Halliday has some horses um you know Philip and Boyd both have a good shot with their new mounts probably I, I mean I don't know what their plans are but I think that there's a, a good group of, of riders that, um, and we're hungry for it. I mean, maybe more so than we ever have been. So I think it's, um, we, we need to get over there and we need to try to take that, that win back from, from the Europeans. <laughs> I was going to say, Michael Young, if you're listening to this, watch out. Oliver Terman, yeah. if you're listening to this, watch out lads, because. Watch out boys. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> The next question kind of stays with my bomb as a theme, and it is from Emmy Equestrian Pilates, who says, "When was the moment that you first thought that my bomb was going to be a five-star horse?" Uh, when I crossed the finish line at Kentucky. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, you know, um, I think that was a big question for every single person watching me that day. Um, and I knew he had the scope and I knew he had the, the endurance. Um, I didn't know if he had the heart, you know, I, you, you don't really know, I don't think until you do it. Um, and, uh, I guess maybe, maybe halfway through, I kind of knew I was like, this is, it, it, it's so nerve wracking taking a first time five-star horse. I mean, I've, I mean, that's what us professionals do, but like every horse I've taken to the five star hasn't done one before. So, um, it's always a massive question and you kind of go into it, you know, a little bit with some faith and, you know, you, you know, you've prepared all you can and, and the horses kind of tell you what they're made of when you, you know, you, you go out the start box. So, um, you know, especially that Kentucky, we had gotten so much rain, it snowed that year <laughs> um and we got in so much rain so I wasn't sure how he'd handle you know the the deep the deep mud and you know unfortunately had that frangible pin but other than that I mean it to me it was no fault of the horse and uh he he answered all the questions and zipped around the course like it was really nothing and that was when I was like okay I'm going to badminton you know like this he he's a five-star horse for sure and I think that there were people that probably questioned my sanity in, in doing that um, because it was a world championship year. But I just at that moment knew that my horse was 
more than capable of going around, you know, one of the biggest tracks in the world and, and doing it with style. So um, I think after, you know, after he went around that Kentucky track, went through the finish flags and how he felt, I went, okay, he's ready. He's, he's, he finally made it. I mean, it, it took years to develop that horse because he's a very spooky, um, careful jumper, but um, cross country is something that he, he thrives on. He loves it. That is actually one of our, our next questions from CS Equine, who says, um, well, first of all, they say that they think you're so inspiring, which is absolutely true. Um, but they actually oh. wanted to ask about finding my bomb. Um, and they've put, I don't think he was necessarily purchased as an event prospect, was he? So tell us a bit about my bomb's backstory. Yeah, he was in the Munich auction. Um, Michelle Pestel, who is a trainer up in the Northwest, Seattle, right outside of Seattle area, Washington. Um, she that, That's what she kind of does for her living is source, um, source really nice, fancy German type warm blood horses that are crosses for eventing, actually. Um, the Europeans, I know, you know, because I, I met one of the guys that was at the auction when when Lexus was sold, he said, I, I was really, really shocked that that horse ended up being a vent horse. I thought he was sold to go be a a hunter in America. And, and although he looks like, I mean, I think he could do that actually. I think he could go do the hunters and here, but um, Michelle sourced him with the current owners with Ellen. Ellen Ahern went over um, to Germany with her and um, it's actually a, kind of an inside story Michelle you know actually felt like the horse might be not quite suited for their daughter because Alex at the time was quite young and you know buying a coming four-year-old you know he he was you know you know very blood horse looking and so but Ellen just loved him I mean you what's not to love I mean he's absolutely drop-dead gorgeous so Ellen was kind of the 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 person that kind of pushed pushed that um, to purchase him, and they they didn't actually pay for. Him. I mean, I think I think they paid fifteen fifteen thousand dollars for him, and then had to import him on top of that. But they didn't pay very much for him. Um, and then he came over, and Michelle rode him alongside with Alex and produced him, and up through basically his first intermediate and then Alex came then to come be a working student for me. And what was your first impression of him? Um, I mean, I'd seen the horse prior, you know, when I'm at events and stuff, there's not really ever any time for me to, uh, to really pay attention to what other people are riding. I'm, I'm usually so busy um, either coaching or riding now more riding that, um, it was, it was quite, um, you know, I, I didn't know the horse super well. I knew him well enough that I'd seen Alex ride him here and there and the horse catches your eye, you know, how can he not from across, across an arena, everybody would look at him. He's this beautiful black look, you know, just elegant looking horse. Um, so of course I always thought that he was absolutely stunning and a huge talent, but watching him from afar, you, you know, you never thought that he would be a five-star horse, nor did you 
would you even probably pick him to be that because of his, you know, of him being so careful? Um, Alex ended up taking him what would be called now the uh, three long at Mm -hmm. Fair Hill on the old side. And it was the year that it rained torrential downpour. And um, it ended up being so, so rainy that, I mean, the ground had to have been like a foot deep galloping around. And um, that's actually what made her kind of go, eh, maybe venting isn't my jam. <laughs> so she um, she finished there, around there, and um, didn't, you know, just didn't like that feeling. I mean, nobody really likes it, but you have to be a little bit crazy to to experience it and at that moment um after that uh, the next the next the following next season is when um uh, they you know the family and Alex approached me about taking over the ride and even at that moment I wasn't certain I knew he had the scope and I knew he had the gallop but I wasn't sure that he would want to do it you know they have to have heart and desire you know to, to me that's way more uh important than talent um and ability so uh i i think you just don't know until you get there and um going around my first four long on him it felt easy um like scary easy everything always felt pretty easy and it even still going around badminton last year felt easy um so the horse just has a very genuine soul and he has more desire to please, and he loves cross country. I, I think um, if he didn't, if he didn't love it, um, he has every ingredient not to do it. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But his desire makes him love it, and it makes it easy for him. So, I mean, making badminton feel easy is quite something. Um, Right. Next question in a little bit off piste. And I have to admit, I really love this question. Hoping I might get some ideas. It is from David <laughs> Garnett. And he says, when you're being super mum, what are your midweek easy meals that you throw together to get everybody fed at home? Yeah, so um, I am, first of all, I'm very fortunate to have a partner who is 100% just so supportive. Um, even when the kids were little, like he was always, Dave was always like my, my support crew. So, um, I, I, I would basically, um, he, he has this meal. I, I actually don't do a lot of the cooking at home because Dave loves cooking. It, it's, and I actually don't love cooking. So, um, but Dave makes, like an American version of a sausage roll where he takes these, this pill, pre-made pre, um, can't like, it's a, it's a Pillsbury Doughboy uh, croissant dough that he takes and he wraps them around hot dogs and he bakes them in the oven and it takes like 10 minutes and that's what he would make. And, uh, yeah, during the mid, midweek in the season I get to just watch because I'm not allowed to eat stuff like that (laughs) oh my um, god (laughs) but it it is so delicious and so bad for you and so quick and easy that um yeah he I, I don't know if he invented it himself but the first time I saw it I was like what are you doing 
you're going to give our kids a heart attack. And then I took a bite and went, oh, <laughs> that's what you're doing. So, yeah, that would be that would be the go to. I have to admit, I um the thought when you when you first kind of said, you know, croissant, hot dog, I was a bit like, what? <laughs> what, 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 what even is that? And then I sort of made the sausage roll and I was like, yes, yes. Team. I know. You, this, yes, you told this me. This is it's a game changer. A, it's um, the English version of a sausage roll. So there you go. Dave, you and I would be great friends. That is all I'm going to say. Um, that, is my, <laughs> that is my kind of meal. Um, okay, next question. We've got a little bit. We went from being really serious talking about my bomb to some slightly more off-piece um, <laughs> suggestions. So the next question comes in from Sophie, and it is, who would you invite to your dream dinner party? You could have, I don't know, three or four people, anybody you like. Um, they can be dead, alive you name it, it's your dinner party, you could have who you like. Dave's doing the cooking, you've got sausage rolls, who are you going to share them with? <laughs> well, I guess it wouldn't be the Queen of England if I had sausage rolls at dinner, so. <laughs> I, bet, I bet Queen would love sausage rolls, and she, I mean, uh, dead alive, whatever goes, so I think if you want the Queen there, the Queen can be there. <laughs> um, I think it would be so fascinating to sit down with dinner with her, because um, I think she'd just seems like such a cool she seemed like such a cool lady um but wow that's a really interesting question um it would have to be uh a non-horse person I think like mm -hmm. maybe Albert Einstein <laughs> or or somebody um fascinating a rock star. I think it would be like a Albert Einstein with like somebody from a rock band um and uh maybe the queen of england i think that'd be a, three really amazing people at, at dinner that's a diverse party that would be i that like diversity be, yeah i like that a lot i think that would be very fun um that's very crazy. intelligent group we might people. we might have to give them a lot of wine first but yeah, i think it's going end up being right. great yeah it'll be fine um next question is um if you were stranded on a desert island, what could you not live without? And that is from Harriet. Mm. I mean, I I think I could live if I had a horse. Okay. I think I could live if I had a horse. Um, I mean, do I have do I have a do I have a living living items or, or are you asking if I'm deserted with nothing? I mean, desert island, it's all terribly hypothetical. Mentally, mentally so. I might need a horse. Mentally, mentally need I horse. might you need a horse. horse. And then a, or a dog, a horse or a dog. And then I could probably not go mentally insane. Okay. That, that seems like a good plan to be honest. Um, <laughs> better company than a person I would like be, being on a desert Island with just one person would be quite intense. Whereas a dog or a horse, I think you could. Yeah. I don't you. think I could be deserted with a person for sure. Yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> um, okay. Next question is, um, ba, 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 ba. we've done the big bees. There was so many questions about whether there was going to be a badminton or a burley. Um, EQ Olivia and Sky says, "What is your favorite type of horse? So, what what do you look for in your horses?" 
Um, well, it's interesting because if you looked at all of my horses, they look very, very different. But what I will say that they have is a very trainable and, and desire to want to learn. Um, and actually, I was having this conversation earlier today about riders. And somebody said, well, I don't think that they have the talent. And I said, you know what? I don't think the talent really matters. If you have the desire to want to learn and you work hard enough, you'll learn. You'll, you'll, you'll get the talent. Talent is nice. But, um, but I think it's been a proven fact that it's not always talent. Um, so so the, when I'm looking at a horse, I think the way their eye looks, if they look worried, um, that's a little bit of a red flag to me. If they um, seem agitated, like how they stand in the cross ties, um, if they seem like a cool customer, that's good. I don't mind if they paw or act a little obnoxious, but um, it has to be with confidence. Um, and when I ride them, um, I try, when I'm trying a horse, I try to do things that would put them in a place where like, how would they handle it? Like maybe a little bit of pressure and then you see how they would handle that or jumping a jump um, that maybe they, maybe a height that they haven't jumped before so that you can kind of see how they deal with that or putting them through a grid is a good, a good way to deal with that. But, but the, the, the heart and the de desire to me is, and you, I think I feel like I get a feeling of that. Um, I don't know how to really explain how to, how to, determine that other than what I just said but um the actual look of the horse um uh, it has to be proportionate um I don't want them to be downhill um I want them to have a nice neck I want their neck to sit out um from their body in a a more uphill uh set um but it doesn't necessarily mean that that, you know, horse doesn't, can't do the job. I've, I've ridden, I have one that actually doesn't look like that, but, um, and, and it's an athlete. Um, it has to be able to feel like it's going to throw a good jump and it has enough movement. It doesn't have to be, in fact, I don't want a horse that moves super extravagant, but it, that it has a good canter, a good walk. Um, and, the percentage of blood, uh, you know, for a five-star horse um, is very controversial. I know I don't, um, I think if you find all the pieces and the horse feels blood enough and it happens to have less blood than what you'd like, I don't think that's the end of the world. But I do feel like the life is a lot easier if you can buy a horse that is meant to gallop. Um, I've, I've, I've ridden horses that are 30% thoroughbred and, um, and most of them are. And so um, I, I have a couple full thoroughbreds. And honestly, if I could put all the pieces into a full thoroughbred, that would be my ideal pick. The dream. The dream. Okay. <laughs> okay. In that case, then, this kind of leads on to the next question, um, which is from Katie. And she says, is there any horse in the world, if you could pick any horse and you could put them in your yard, um, who would you most like to ride? Mm. Uh, well, I love Tom McEwen's uh, Toledo to Cursor. I love that horse. I've always loved it. 
even when he was naughty, I loved him. In fact, I loved him, I think, mostly because he was naughty. Um, <laughs> um, but the bonsai horse, um, Yasmin Ingham's horse. Where's the bonsai did um, Yeah. Holy man. That looks like a horse of a lifetime. Obviously it is. Um, but it looks incredible to ride as well. Um, but I think right now in my career, um, if I could go pick up any horse that I wanted, um, it would be probably a Grand Prix dressage horse. Um, Everdale, Everdale could come live with me tomorrow and I would be a happy camper. (laughs) Okay, nice. All righty. Um, it's funny, Toledo de Casa is the horse. I mean, Tom McEwen must be locking his gates at night because everybody would love a bit of Toledo de Casa. Um, yeah. But Banzai de Loire is a great shout, and I love the dressage angle as well. Um, okay, last couple of questions, uh, listeners. The next one is from um, Annabelle Smith, and she says, what would your perfect holiday be? I mean, is it really just being stuck on a desert island with a dog or a horse? Who knows? My perfect holiday would be down in a very remote area in Mexico, um, like Cozumel or someplace that's not super populated. I love the water there. Um, I love the weather in the fall. It's... um, it's just super chill and low key Costa Rica type feeling. Um, but the water's so blue and it's warm and, um, but I'd like it to be at a, I'd like it to be in a very remote area, but like a 10 star hotel. (laughs) Okay. Um, So that we could be waited on with really good food and drinks. (laughs) Um, that I think sounds quite ideal to be honest. Um, what else have we got? Right. I have got one here, actually. Um, it's quite a cool one. Coming into 2023, this is from uh, Georgia Patrick, who's Ecorating's very own Georgia Patrick. Um, how has having a major championship under your belts changed your plans for 2023? Or has it changed your plans for 2023? Um. No, actually, it hasn't changed my plans for 2023. Um, Having a major championship under my belt, having a good result there, and having the team get Team Silver is definitely a sigh of relief for about five seconds. And then um, my plans for 2023 are just how I'm going to prepare for the future teams. Um, And so I will say that um, having something like that with that high pressure definitely gives you a sigh of relief and it gives you confidence, which I think is super important in developing as a rider. Um, but I don't feel necessarily like the the change of what next year or this year now, all of a sudden, here it is. Um, I don't feel like the change that that, that has changed a lot now. I will say that during major championships, so an Olympic Games or a World Championships, I would travel to the East Coast more because um, I feel like it's important for me to get into competitions with my peers as well as um, a higher level of um, competitive edge. You know, there's nothing like getting out of your comfort zone 
and and competing on the East Coast or going over to Europe, I think that that's super important to stay uh, primed and ready to go. Um, but this year, um, my regardless of how the championships, whether I've gone or not gone, it would have it would it wouldn't have changed how I was planning for 2023. Okay, brilliant. Um, and actually, that is. Um, another question it kind of leads us on nicely uh gonna do two more listeners um firstly how has your time over the last couple of years particularly because you've spent a lot of time in Europe and a lot of time on the east coast last season as well um what is your biggest takeaway from that time competing at new venues and against different people yeah I would say um Going over to Germany last year, so in 2021, uh, after going to Tokyo, I, I spent some time in Germany. And for me, that was the most impactful um, piece to my training because, uh, you know, the level of riding is significantly higher than it is in the States. Um, it, it's part of, <clears throat> it's just the way it is. It's, um the level of riding is on a level that, you know, we haven't quite, we as the United States haven't quite um, touched on yet. Um, and honestly, I don't know that we'll ever be able to get to that, that level with, with that many ride. I mean, it's, our culture is not horses in the United States, unfortunately. So, um, and things are, we are a massive country, you know, we're, we're, you know, one state is a country over in Europe. So I don't mm -hmm. think you can even compare the United States. Um, but getting over into a very condensed area with a mass amount of very top level world-class riders uh, and you surround yourself around that, it's invaluable. Um, so I would say that's super impactful. I've done this. I went to the UK back in, um, I don't know, I can't remember, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, I, um, and I went and spent time, and that was very impactful in my riding. And then I did it again after Tokyo and stayed in Germany, and that was uh, even more so. Um, and so um, I, I will say that just getting out of your comfort zone, no matter what that means, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to, you have to, completely relocate it just means that maybe you need to go test that test those waters out and I think that's a little bit of a handicap for the east coast riders because they're you know they don't necessarily do that um they're kind of always in their comfort zone until they go to Europe so, you know they rarely come to the west coast but when they do you can tell that they're out of their comfort zone and so um I think that that's a, a piece in our industry that we have to get better at and that um riders not just myself but riders are are moving around no matter where they're at so the lesson for me in all this is that my home base on the west coast is 100 percent um everything i need to be able to ride on a team and to and and in order to become a world-class rider and in my opinion you don't have to be any specific place um 
now if if you want to be if you want it to be more convenient obviously that's different but my lessons just been like there's no place like home if that makes sense and yeah. it's much harder to be on the road and compete at these big events than it is to be in your backyard with your people and um and so i know it, it's something that you have to do but um but always know that no matter where home is, it can always be your home. It doesn't, you don't have to leave. And that, and that's, that's a big, a big, um, you know, that's, that's, that's my big take, take away from 2022. That's really lovely. And I think it's really important as well, because there is so much um, to be said for being home. And actually, what your, your first point on that, of kind of sometimes you do have to push your boundaries slightly to get better and to, to feel more comfortable and confident and to, I guess, expand your knowledge. I think actually we can all apply that to our everyday lives, whether we're riding or not. You know, it, we all kind of know what we're comfortable with at home. And ultimately, that's what we, certainly speaking from my point of view, what I would always go back to. But actually, I think sometimes pushing myself out of my comfort zone makes me a better person when I'm back at home. Um, and I, I think yeah, that's really important bit. For sure. And, and then the... Uh, I mean, it's easy to get just comfortable, but I mean, we have world-class show jumping shows and dressage shows around us and just going to those gets me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. So, you know, you can still do that at home. Um, obviously it is important to, to do it in a place where, you know, you're, you're, you're testing the waters a bit against the world's best. And it's, it's why I've decided that I think going over to Germany this spring early summer is important because you know that's the trip I think I'm I I need to go to and and but but I don't I don't need to live there yes yeah no I get that completely um okay last question and it is from the lovely team at badminton horse trials who have said what was your favorite memory of your first badminton Mm, I have several (laughs) Um, honestly, I think, uh, walking into the ring for ring familiarization and I always, I mean, I've grown up watching videos since I was a kid and they were VHS videos of the red and white roofs of around that surround the main ring there. And I never appreciated that until I went to walk in for ring familiarization and I looked up and I went, that was the thing that that I noticed mostly, which is so interesting. Um, but I almost got emotional because I, I really went, I can't believe I'm finally here. And I'd been there, you know, just a few years prior with Wembley when, when he didn't actually get through the first trot up, he ended up with getting a, an abscess that came out like literally the day after, but I still didn't get to do ring familiarization, so I didn't even understand it. I mean, I'd spent the time at badminton and I'd been there as a spectator, but walking in that ring on your horse um, and seeing that iconic tent, uh, you know, roofing was, was it just, maybe it's funny, but it just made me choke up a bit like, wow, I'm finally here, you know? Um, And then galloping around and seeing the crowds I've never seen crowds like that ever and I've competed all over the world um I know that it probably had something to do with after COVID coming back um but the crowds were 
unbelievable. Um, I still get chills like thinking about it because there's nothing, there's nothing better than feeling that feeling of galloping down those gallop lanes and these masses of people just cheering you on. Um, and so um, that was probably my other favorite moment. And then show jumping double clear with my bomb on show jumping day was, was just, just a, just an unbelievable feeling um, because I know he's such a great horse. I, I don't feel like he's, I don't feel like his career has done him justice quite yet. Um, but I know it's coming. So um, that's, that was just an unbelievable feeling to be able to jump that last jump because I'd watched, you know, basically 80%, 85% of the people jump and there might've been one, one or two clear rounds before I went. They're pretty cool memories. They are very, very, very sort of, I had goosebumps then when you were just talking about the crowds. I think it's something very special, very unique. Um, and actually your, your point about going into arena familiarization, I guess, is one of those moments that actually you have time to think about it for a second, because yeah, when you're trotting yeah. in to the dressage, you're not thinking about that. You know, you're very much job in hand, whereas actually arena familiarization, you kind of have time to take it all in. You can you think do. about it. Um, and you can only walk on a long rain at badminton. Yes. So you really have time, but I you have, have a funny story. Yeah. I have a really funny story. That's a memory as well. That is embarrassing but funny as I was getting ready to go from the show into the show jumping arena Eric Devander was walking alongside me and he said make sure you salute the queen the royal family and I went what <laughs> and he said make sure that when you after you salute the officials that you salute the royal family and I'm like well where are they and he goes they're in the middle and I go, the middle. And he goes, yeah, they're in the middle. I go, okay. So I go into the arena and I, I salute and I'm not even certain where the judge is, but I always salute because I, I don't hear very well. And so I have to look at the digital clock before I go to know if they've rang the bell or not. And so then I turned around and I saw this group of people in, standing in the center of the arena, which um, I thought that must be the royal family. <laughs> so I saluted them. But it wasn't the royal family. In fact, it was the jump crew. <laughs> well, I'm sure they appreciated it. <laughs> and I and I actually didn't salute the royal family. My back was to them as I saluted the jump crew. But um yeah, that was kind of a funny a funny moment as I was coming as I was coming out of the the arena. Eric was like, that was amazing. And that was definitely not the royal family. So, <laughs> well, I'm so. sure they appreciated it. Um, Tammy, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show as always. Uh, good luck this season. I'm sure we'll speak at some point throughout it. Um, but look, fingers crossed, all roads leading to, I guess, the first of the big five stars in Kentucky, but they're going to come thick and fast for you. So yeah, you and good luck. Okay, well, thank you very much, Nicole. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this special Q&A with Tammy. I have to admit, 
I loved this. Um, it's really fun being able to, to ask all sorts of questions. So I hope you guys have as well. Uh, we'll be back very soon. We've got lots more coming up on the USCA podcast. We've got a 2023 preview show. The Valentine special listeners is back. And let me tell you, it is going to be brilliant. One of my favorite shows of the whole year uh, and lots more as well. So do stay tuned if you don't already hit the subscribe button. But a big thank you to Tammy and a big thank you to you guys for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the USCA official podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback, then we would love to hear from you. Get in touch through any of our social media platforms at US Eventing. And don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode.